Welcome back to Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers, the podcast devoted to exploring the frontiers of psychedelic medicine and what it takes to cultivate a healthy mind, body, and spirit. I'm Dr. Steve Thayer, and today my co-host, Dr. Reed Robison, and I discuss imposter syndrome. Reed reveals his dislike of this term as we discuss its origins, the many ways it manifests, and what to do about it. Hey, if you know somebody in your life who struggles with imposter syndrome, then send them this episode. Everybody loves getting a podcast recommendation from friends that imply they have problems. Thank you for your emails and for your YouTube comments. If you want to reach out to us with episode suggestions or questions, you can email us at psychfrontiers at novamind.ca. And if you want to interact with Reed or myself on social media, you can find us on Instagram. Reed is at Interspace Doctor. I am at Dr. Steve Thayer. All right, without further ado, please enjoy us struggling through our own imposter syndrome. Questions for our listeners. Do you agonize over even the smallest mistakes or flaws in your work? Do you attribute your success to luck or outside factors? Are you very sensitive to even constructive criticism? Do you feel you will inevitably be found out as a fraud or a phony? Do you downplay your own expertise, even in areas where you are genuinely more skilled than the average person? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you might have imposter syndrome. How you doing, Reed? Pretty good, except uh, <laughs> to be honest, I'm not, a, you. I'm not a fan of the term imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to go back to when it was first coined and it was imposter phenomenon because it's such a common thing. Like the latest stat I saw from the APA in a reference was 82% of people identify with that. And if we call it a syndrome, it implies that that needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. But I think in this discussion, we may get into the forces at play and what to do about it, what's really going on underneath the hood of this imposter term. Right. So like we usually do when we have an episode that's around a particular kind of uh, either syndrome or condition or phenomenon, um, we like to try to define it. Yeah. So this one's fairly face valid. Imposter phenomenon, imposter syndrome. It's the feeling like you are a fraud or that you will be found out to be an imposter in some domain of your life. Yeah. It's essentially self-doubt. Right. So, uh, but I think there is kind of a social anxiety aspect to it. There's doubt coupled with the fear of being found out. Do you think? I mean, I've, yeah, yeah. I think those are the two main features. Right. Yeah. Um, feeling undeserving, like what you've accomplished is either due to luck or, um, outside forces, like it's that attribution problem. Mm -hmm. And then fear of being exposed as a result. But I think the other, the other interesting thing about it is that it seems to be trending the term. Like, I think, uh, I've just noticed it showing up more and more in psychology today articles in, um, Vanity Fair articles in TikTok videos. Yeah. And, uh, as things do, when we hear about them, especially very common things like that, um, we start to identify with it Mm -hmm. and attached, attached to it in some ways. And that can be good or bad. I think there's actually a, a positive 
kind of evolutionary underpinning to imposter syndrome, imposter feelings, and it can go awry and become negative, self-limiting. Yeah. Let's play around with that. So, you know, you, you, you bristled at the, at the labeling of it as a syndrome. Um, and I kind of have similar feelings Mm -hmm. in part because oftentimes we will over pathologize what, what are probably fairly normative phenomena, right? Especially when it comes to feelings. We talk a lot about emotions and the normalization of emotions on this podcast. You and I are both mental health professionals and we've been Mm -hmm. trained and have experience with, uh, when, emotional states, cognitive states reach the threshold of mm-hmm. what we might call an illness or at least self-defeating. How much does it interfere with your life? Right. right? How functionally impairing is it? Because a little bit of self-doubt, it can be helpful. It can help you check the right boxes so, so you show up in an optimal way. Like if you check your lock once at night before going to bed, that can be adaptive mm-hmm. towards your survival, depending on what neighborhood you live in, right? If you check it 100 times, it eats into your sleep and it's maladaptive. Or uh, checking the airplane in a pre-flight way, systematically, carefully, uh, being a little bit anxious about it can be good. So you don't mm-hmm. crash. Um, but when it starts to, when we start to obsess over it, that's why uh, your initial questions rung some perfectionism bells in me mm-hmm. like there's a lot of overlap there yeah and we find that uh, traits like perfectionism and neuroticism anxiety self-preoccupation mm-hmm. low trait levels of self-esteem um, tend to correlate with people who report to experience report experiencing imposter phenomenon or imposter syndrome yeah what do you like better um imposter phenomenon back was what it was called when what was it chance yeah um, back in the 70s 78 when it was uh, first described but i've heard it more recently called imposter feelings mm-hmm. i like imposter feelings because of like we're talking about that it uh, takes it out of the realm of pathology when you think of a syndrome yeah. you're thinking of something that's like an illness or the pixar character but um yeah and it makes it more uh universal and mm-hmm. destigmatizes it, I guess. Yeah. And I think like you're implying, Reed, it, it, it makes it possible to see it for everything that it might be. It, that mm-hmm. There might be situations in which it could be adaptive to be thoughtful about uh, how, how would we put it. I don't know that it, I would say it's adaptive to feel like an imposter, but it might be adaptive to be thoughtful about how confident you ought to be in a particular mm-hmm. situation, especially if it prompts you to sharpen your skills or to prepare well. And it also makes sense. I, I feel that it's completely normal to have some feelings of being an imposter at some point during one's development, mm-hmm. especially as we progress, because look at the chasm as a kid between you and grownups. Mm. Like you're like, whoa, they can drive a car. Whoa, they can tell the plumber what to do. They can like get on an airplane with business colleagues and go to a freaking meeting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Things I cannot do as a seven-year-old. Right. Um, and then uh, I think we can either gain a sense of like belief that anything's possible or we can fester in self-doubt and we can follow that fork in the road to infinity. Um, but the beautiful thing is we can also reshape it as we gain awareness to it at whatever point in our lives. Yeah. I like that you're talking about it in terms of development, because you could look at imposter feelings as a good sign that you're putting yourself into areas where you're stretching, 
Yeah. Right. If you're always feeling a 100% confident about your abilities in every situation that you're in, you might be a narcissist <laughs> mm-hmm. or you might be completely naive or you're putting yourself in easy scenarios. You're playing on easy mode and yeah. on, you know, you don't really grow or develop a lot on easy mode. Growth happens in that really difficult space between what's unrealized and the comfort zone. And we call that space pain. <laughs> like it's, yeah. That's, that's the discomfort of growth. Tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I asked, uh, Hannah, for her opinion, our favorite parts work uh, colleague Hannah and Cross. Pod, podcast guest, yeah. among other things. And, <laughs> and uh, she said something I found profound is that from a parts work perspective, imposter syndrome, um, when she's done some personal work on it, she could see as a, a part of her that's mm. quite common or normal that you could almost see as a positive sign or a cheerleader, like you were saying of like, wow, I'm... I'm getting somewhere. There may be some naysaying voice noise that's coming out of that part, but mm-hmm. um, it is a sign that you've uh, progressed to new realms and discomfort is a part of life. Right. Yeah. So a lot of it's the perspective you take uh, as you encounter the feelings, mm-hmm. which we could say about almost anything about whether or not it's going to be adaptive or maladaptive. Because certainly I've had imposter feelings mm-hmm. or cognitions, beliefs that I am an imposter, that I'm a fraud, that it, I don't know enough. I'm not enough of an expert, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Perfectionism shows up that result in me contracting. Like don't expose yourself. It's that social anxiety part we're talking about because you're going to get found out. You're going to get embarrassed. Um, you're going to fail, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then I've had uh, the more adaptive response as well where – I'm preparing for something, let's say it's a presentation and I'm feeling like, oh man, uh, I don't think I'm the guy for this. Uh, I don't think I know enough. And so that prompts me to then prepare more. And certainly there's, there's such a thing as over preparing, but, uh, or preparing so much that you don't get enough sleep, then you don't perform well, that kind of thing. It needs to be imbalanced. (laughs) That's been, uh, the bane of my existence sometimes, (laughs) uh, just, I'm just remembering cramming, late night cramming for exams. And even in more recent years, late night making slides for a presentation where I had procrastinated a bit. And there was a sense of, oh no, I'm going to get up there in front of 500 people and make a fool out of myself. And that fuels, that fuels some uh, work. Um, and ideally you've left some preparation time for that work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's lots of trendy phrases around, you know, uh, preparation and like luck is where opportunity meets preparation, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's important to sort of ride that edge between over-prepare and under-prepare. And, but if you're checking in and you constantly hear the voice, you're not enough, you're not enough, you're not enough, you're not enough. Mm -hmm. Get curious about that voice, right? It, this, this might be maladaptive, but as we're trying to describe, if you can, from a parts work perspective, develop a better relationship with that voice, understand mm-hmm. what it's trying to protect you from, thank it for its efforts, put it in a more adaptive role, mm-hmm. it could help you grow. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot um, because your opinion of yourself matters. Mm-hmm. It does. And, you know, things, um, it's, it's actually, you know, what we believe that matters and fuels our actions, not necessarily what is factually happening in the environment around us that we may not even notice. Yeah. Yeah. 
we may not even notice. And sometimes it's really hard to get a sense for what's factually happening in the environment yeah. around us. We, we all view the, the objective world through the lens of our experience, right? Yeah. And our beliefs and our expectations. And we have, we have a lot of control over the shape and hue of that lens. But a lot of it's predetermined, predetermined by our genetic lineage, epigenetics, mm-hmm. by uh, our experiences growing up, by the people we surround ourselves by now. Mm-hmm. So to the extent, you, you pr- folks, you probably have more control than you think to create yeah. your world. That's why the power of positive thinking is so powerful. But I like the power of realistic thinking, just a splash of rosy in there, yeah. you know? <laughs> a splash of positivity. And as we've said a million times before, these triggers these struggles are friends to follow and point us towards the work right in fact when an imposter feeling comes up personally or in people i'm working with i like to see it as a beautiful opportunity to get underneath the hood and work on that uh you know whatever is underneath that mechanism fueling that self-limiting belief Mm -hmm. and i like to do it with you know a series of questions you know, we can even try it if you want. Yeah. If you have, do you have any self-doubts? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> do you have a favorite? Uh, yeah, let me think for a second. I often struggle um, with some perfectionistic type self-doubts. So I am not going to measure up. Like I'm not going to be good enough at might mess up X, Y, or Z. Yeah, I might make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Okay, and is there any rational reason for such a belief? Um, I think there are some. I've made mistakes in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, that comes to mind. So yeah, I've got some evidence to okay. suggest that I might fail. And is it possible that you're mistaken in this belief? Depending on what the belief is, like mm-hmm. if you were to state it in its most extreme form, like I'm doomed, I'm going to fail. I'm going to come, uh, uh, what would be the most extreme form? I'm being deliberately vague, but... Uh, uh, oh, I I will um I will turn everybody off. I'll be found out to be a horrible person and and everyone will leave me. Okay. <laughs> I'll be completely alone. And so is there a chance that you're mistaken in this belief? Could it be? Yeah, there's a, definitely, there's a chance. And so would you come to the same conclusion about someone else? A client of yours, a friend, or if I came to you and mm-hmm. shared a similar belief um about Another person in a similar situation. No, I don't think so. Yeah. So why should you continue to act and feel the same way about yourself? If there is no good reason to believe it as an absolute or, you know, you're, you wouldn't apply that same logic to someone else. Yeah. I mean, uh, You've, you've uh, painted me into a, a corner, and now I can't say anything other than I wouldn't, right? There's, yeah. there's no reason to continue believing this, um, which is often what happens when we have these sort of cognitive, uh, sort of a CBT type approach to helping people see the irrationality behind their irrational creates thoughts. Creates some dissonance, right? right? And they got to, which creates insight often for people. Yeah. Yeah, you can use that tension again Mm -hmm. to fuel like reshaping those thoughts. Like they are, that's the beauty of it. Like we were saying, they are, um, we can shift our perspective. We can go from a fixed to a growth mindset. We Mm -hmm. can go from Mm -hmm. 
um, limiting self-belief to limitless potential. I, I appreciate you running me through that exercise because I love the the insight uh, of why do you treat yourself differently than you would treat anybody else? Like, why is there that exception there? Yeah, that that hit me hard when I started working in the eating disorder world. Mm. And I know that's a unique example and a particularly sticky one, mm. or it can be can be difficult to shake off or let go of. But um, self-image is so fascinating to me because we we don't give ourselves the grace that we give others. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it does matter how we how we view ourselves. It's one of the reasons I've loved combining parts work that we've talked so much about recently on the podcast and um, cognitive mm-hmm. behavioral approaches. Yeah. And, you know, one of the main or common approaches when you start doing eating disorder work uh, is one big parts work exercise. Have you heard the book, Your Life Without Ed? No. It's like uh, almost mandatory reading when someone goes into a course of treatment mm-hmm. um, where they personified the eating disorder voice mm-hmm. as this dude named Ed. <laughs> and um, how would your life be without that voice, um, or separating your true capital S self from that voice saying you're not good enough, or mm-hmm. you're um, this or that, or you need to lose weight or change the way you look, or something like that. Right. I love that. I love personifying the negative voice, and it's a form of parts work, right? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, especially when I've worked with people with eating disorders or OCD, people on that end of the entropic brain spectrum, um, that are more over-controlled there. Yeah. You do the CBT thing, but they tend to be like really, really resistant to yeah. being convinced, <laughs> which I know maybe the CBT ardents would disagree that that's mm-hmm. what we're doing, but, um, you know, being convinced that their beliefs are irrational or they'll admit it like with OCD, but then they still feel like they're slaves to it. Mm-hmm. But I, I found that like doing that, being able to compartmentalize it and say, this is just your OCD talking. Yeah. This is just Ed talking. Uh, it makes it a lot more accessible. Like you can approach yeah. it with a little less defensiveness. Gives you something to work with. And sometimes uh, in order to see that or get a radical change of perspective, we give a sprinkle of psychedelics. Yeah. <laughs> right? And sometimes we use the neuroplasticity in a psychedelic to melt some of the rigidity like we've talked about in the past around theory of rebus and how psychedelics work relax beliefs under psychedelics to loosen the grip of those tightly held self-limiting beliefs yeah yeah so in as much as imposter beliefs or feelings or syndrome or phenomenon are beliefs then stands to reason that they could be helped with psychedelic treatment yeah and one of the other reasons why i cringe a tiny bit when I hear imposter syndrome thrown around so much rather than like imposter feelings or some is because I believe there's a big systemic uh, root of it. Like there's a societal cultural issue where if we put it as a syndrome on someone and say, you've got a problem, you need to fix it. But it really stems in part, at least from, um, you know, how we interrelate in society and, mm-hmm. um, you know, these uh, filtered lives we share out there and um, how we don't really know each other's internal struggles as much. And we might think we're alone or an imposter in uh, 
in this when so many other people are having the same phenomenon. It's a good point, Reed. We live in a very weird time. I'm sure uh-huh. every adult at every epoch has said we live in a really weird time, but you know, the, the fact that we are constantly exposed to airbrushed and Photoshopped versions of people's mm-hmm. lives, it, it does. It shapes our expectations for what our lives should be. I think it's one reason why people simultaneously will love and follow the airbrushed, airbrushed and Photoshopped versions of people's lives, but also really, really like authenticity. Like, yeah. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I love mm-hmm. podcasts, conversation podcasts. Cause you're, I mean, we have our notes in front of us, but Reed and I would be having a conversation just like this. If the cameras were off, like this is how we talk to each other about specific topics. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it shows a certain kind of, of intimacy and vulnerability. Uh, and we don't heavily edit it. I mean, if I fart really loud, maybe Jamie will edit it out, but other, maybe, <laughs> maybe we should just have a podcast where it's just us burping and farting. People would love, love that kind of authenticity Reed. Let's test that. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe we you will. Know, yeah, but this is an unfiltered podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I think you're right. It's uh, as I neglect to sip my caffeinated beverage. Speaking of unfiltered, um, <laughs> yeah, that it, that uh, well, I've lost my train of thought. But say more about where, what you're getting at here with how we all feel this to some degree? Yeah, so I think um, one other point I wanted to make is that uh, there's a trap in in just assuming that mantras and self-esteem alone will fix the problem. Mm. And there's also a risk in just going into therapy or coaching to fix imposter syndrome when um, you know, it's so common out there and is a byproduct of some of the societal issues around us, um, especially for marginalized groups. It, there's even studies that show it gets worse. Like, like if you're um, a woman in corporate America in certain positions that are predominantly male, like it's more likely to show up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it shows like the kind of some of the patriarchal um, problems out there in uh leadership roles in corporate America. But uh, um, interestingly, like, I think we could, we could chat a little bit about self-esteem versus self-compassion in uh, how you might approach some of this, like, because self-esteem or confidence alone um, isn't necessarily the answer. And there's even studies to show that a compassionate like forgiving oneself, giving oneself grace for making mistakes and understanding and just learning from them and kind of metabolizing that and moving forward um, and doing better next time is actually a more productive path. That's something I've been really happy to learn as a child of the 1980s who was raised on a healthy diet of self-esteem. Like that's when the self-esteem movement was in full force. You're a special snowflake. You can do anything you want. Here's a participation trophy. No one should feel bad about themselves. Um, If anything, that's kind of a recipe for imposter syndrome because you're told these are all the wonderful things you are. And then you enter adulthood where the, you know, the world isn't nerfed by your parents anymore. If you had over-controlling and over-protected parents, either helicopter, lawnmower, or snowplow, pick your, you know, machine metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, 
you are all of a sudden in this world that isn't uh, confirming these things about you and you become really, really nervous. I thought I was supposed to be X, Y, or Z. I was supposed to be the star student. Um, yeah. And now that's where that perfectionism shows up. And I think it can be a product of putting too much emphasis on self-esteem and not enough on it's okay to be imperfect. Self-compassion is the salve. Yeah. And a uh, little dose of like loving, honest authenticity. Um, because there are two extremes in this example of parenting that you bring up that I think is important. Like if you, on the one end, um, just tell a kid that, oh, you're the best singer in the universe. Like you can be anything. You can be a singing butterfly on the top charts and then they go try out for American Idol and they have never got a real lesson and they might not be starting with some inborn talent and they just get thrashed. Like, right. And, and uh, they're their self-image plummets uh, versus the other end of the spectrum. Do you remember in the four agreements, an example of, I think it's in being impeccable with your word or mm -hmm. something like that, where there's a mom working two or more jobs, super stressed out, um, out of her window of, of stress tolerance, and the kid is singing, um, and she just comes unhinged and says, stop singing, you're the worst singer ever, and the kid never sings again. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a middle ground there, right, of course, of like lovingly encouraging and and uh, honoring the kid's journey wherever they're at and instilling in them this, this uh, belief in oneself and ability to not be limited by doubts, knowing you can learn and grow, but, but being realistic about the work and the journey. Yeah. Yeah. I think, again, it's another testament to why compassion and validation are a better approach than just deluding yourself or someone that it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, you're yeah. great, you're great, you're great. Certainly we need to be told that we uh, are lovable humans and that we're capable of much and that our efforts to promote that growth mindset that you referred to will be met with rewards, but not exclusively. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you fail. Sometimes things don't turn out the way you expect. That is okay you were okay in the sense that you were not bad because mm -hmm. it didn't work out. You might not feel great. That is also okay. Yeah. It, it just reminds me of the approach that I've tried to take as a parent and as mm -hmm. a therapist with my clients of validation and encouragement, but also a healthy yin yang balance of, mm -hmm. and you done screwed up. Like it, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's okay to take a hard look at what you did and, uh, confront and accept where you fell short. That's also yeah. like my high school football military background too. There wasn't a whole lot of soft serving of that kind of feedback. Yeah. And I think, uh, it, I keep remembering the book on mindset, what Carolyn Zweck, Dweck, Dweck, yeah. um, that we could put in the show notes because, you know, I think that's one superpower we can work to instill in young people and ourselves is mm -hmm. adopting that growth mindset rather than a self-limiting fixed one mm -hmm. um, that can go a long way. Yeah. Is it, is it Angela Duckworth that wrote grit? And I yeah. always get Duckworth and, and Dweck mixed I think so. up because their the mindset and grit are so similar. And I think mm -hmm. Duckworth co-hosts No Stupid Questions with Stephen Dubner. Dubner. Yeah. It was Dweck who did uh, mindset. Okay. Yeah. Um, the internet will check us. <laughs> yeah. Please and, comment below. And, oh, be, please be nice in your comments. Uh, you know what? <laughs> be as mean as you want. 
I can take it. <laughs> <laughs> Steve got a, a hater and that means he's famous. I know. Like I, I, the first just completely unnecessary out of left field, uh, unkind comment about the way I look, which may, may or may not have prompted this. Uh... What if we're one collective organism and that was just one little part of you saying that? <laughs> you just blew my mind. It's that, uh, it reminds me of that meme I shared with you once was like, if, if we are all just God, uh, you know, experiencing himself, then, you know, if I have sex with my partner, am I having sex with myself? <laughs> trippy thoughts. It's trippy. Trippy it's, thoughts for psychedelic therapy frontiers. I don't know if it's related, but I'm just remembering that Ram Dass quote about we're all just God and drag. It would make sense. Yeah. So, all right, uh, what to do about it? Because our beliefs matter. Mm -hmm. They can become habits, even behavioral habits, and we need to dehypnotize ourselves from this state of self-limiting um, beliefs and this head full of doubt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like with so many of these things, if there is a step one, it's pay attention. Awareness, self-awareness. Awareness, yeah. And I should back up a little bit because I feel a little bit bad for knocking on the term imposter syndrome because I'm a huge fan of self-awareness. Mm. And when there's a rating scale, I like to take it. I mm. like to do it. I like to dish it out. And uh, who is it? Pauline Chance, who coined the term imposter phenomenon. She also created, an, what's it called? the Clance Imposter Phenomenon Scale mm. that's freely available out there. I don't know if that's what you're reading questions from. I don't think so. But there are 20 questions that I think are very useful. Um, just don't identify with having a sick syndrome, right? right? Uh, do it in the light of self-awareness. Well, and we've, we've said this before when we talked about diagnoses in particular, uh, or uh, generally, I guess, on the podcast, but don't over-identify with any label. Yeah, I mean, uh, you have there. There can be something relieving about you know finding out that there is a thing that explains why you feel shitty. I get that. Yeah. I remember you know uh, in graduate school, one of my professors, when talking to us about sort of the constructed way that we came about with mental illness labels. Um, he said, I had a client who showed all the signs and symptoms of feeling depressed. And when I told him, hey, you have major depressive disorder, he smiled. You know, his countenance beamed. You're right, I'm depressed. Mm -hmm. It was the least depressed I ever saw him was when I told him he was depressed. So, you know, it's not necessary to over-identify with a label. Although, knowing that there, there is something that might explain how you've been feeling can feel comforting. Um, just want to throw that out there yeah. with respect to labels. Yeah, that's a really good point. So um, we were talking about what to do about it, right? And I think uh, maybe talking a little bit more about the different ways in which imposter feelings manifest can help us understand what to do about it. So in the spirit of awareness, um, we talked about perfectionism, you know, it can show up as perfectionism. Perfectionism is a lie, by the way. <laughs> right, right. Just remembering that, celebrating the achievements in oneself and in each other. I think we can all... We can all do more of that. I'm something I'm trying to work on is just like when I have these these uh, thoughts of someone's done a great job, like trying to speak them, share them sincerely. Mm -hmm. You know, like the real ones. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that does a lot. 
It does a lot to heal yourself and others. Encouraging each other. There's enough of the naysaying going on out there, enough enough haters on the internet. Um, Like, let's all encourage each other for a change. In the spirit of encouragement, Reed, that's something I've noticed a lot about you, something I'm learning from you, is I, I, I uh, am a natural skeptic and pretty, I can be pretty critical. Uh, I've done a lot of work around that, but that's something I've noticed about you is when, there, when you could have, when both paths are available to you, the, the critical mm-hmm. path and the complementary path, I see you often choosing the latter. Well, thank you. Are you yeah. just modeling, giving compliments? I'm not just <laughs> modeling. It's uh, also... Oh, I just felt like an imposter. You, t- you totally, yeah, you totally deflected. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're spilling it on the table here. Yeah, yeah. No, but thank you for that. Of course. That, that does mean a lot. Um, and I heard Brene Brown once in one of her books talk about how frustrating it was that her husband just believes people are good naturally (laughs) and that she tended to see like the potential negative and uh and it took her a minute to work through that i remember that conversation and she even said that when she asked her husband like why do you why do you do that why do you believe Uh the best in people and he said something to the effect of i like myself better when i believe other people are doing the best they can Mm. um and i just thought that was a cool take on it her husband's name is steve by the way Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, fun fact. Um, but it is such a delightful thing to occur in one's life to recognize your own worth mm-hmm. and to see it in others. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of joy in that. You know, one thing I've noticed about some of the like hard chargers that I work with, um, the quote unquote high performers, uh, and I use the quote unquote thing because sure, they might accomplish a lot of things and tasks and accumulate lots mm-hmm. of wealth or whatever, but they often do so at a great cost to their soul. And they're often fueled by what I call dirty fuel. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you, you can look at some of their accomplishments, the size of their accomplishments proportionate to the size of the hole in their heart they're trying to fill. Yeah. This, you know, great chasm in their soul that they're trying to fill. And you find that imposter syndrome is often responsible or, or feelings or perfectionism or whatever. Some mm-hmm. feeling of not being enough is at the root of a lot of that. And a lot of, yeah. when, when I help these folks develop awareness around there, they'll say, well, if I let go of that, I'll lose my edge. Like I won't be able mm-hmm. to accomplish as much as I'm accomplishing. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and is life about how much you accomplish? Right. Um, you know who had a great conversation about that? Um, recently, you may have heard it, uh, Tim Ferriss on his podcast talking to... Is it Cal Newport? No, the gal who wrote Melancholy and oh, Introverts. Susan Cain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was a beautiful conversation. Um, and it's an episode within the last few months mm-hmm. uh, about her book that recently came out that I'm just loving, by the way, Melancholy, I mm-hmm. think it's called. Um, but they went off on this tangent about how they see each other and and Tim was just reflecting they were both reflecting on how um in in the past he was much more driven by these uh shadows or the mm-hmm. hole in his heart um and uh why he's shifted more towards uh what he does like the content of his podcast the the uh pursuits of his philanthropy when mm-hmm. more he was in this startup grind right angel investing and all mm-hmm. that yeah yeah, it's something I've noticed about him and, and a couple other folks like him that I've been following since I was a young man, um, younger man. 
I'm still young, Reed, mm-hmm. in spite of the green yep. in my beard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is this transition. And, and psychedelics is part of, a, of that transition for a lot of them, incidentally. Um, and I don't know that it's too incidental. It's it's probably uh, responsible for a lot of that that type of wisdom and awareness and transition into less grinding, less proving, less protecting, and more serving and uh, slowing down, being mm-hmm. more thoughtful and deliberate. When you feel whole, uh, it's not you're not as tempted to fill holes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, I don't know why I'm thinking about it, but or if it's even relevant. All these tangents today. Love it. But uh, have you read Zarathustra? However you pronounce it, by I don't Nietzsche. I don't pronounce it either. No. Um, where there are three stages of human development, Mm-mm. and the first one I think is like a camel, where like humans at this stage of development just sit there and moan, like powerless or just fighting or bickering. Um, and then there's this lion phase, like you're a rebel, you're, mm. um, you're maybe transcending that imposter syndrome and, um, saying I can, I can do what I want, or I deserve to be here and I'm going to break the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the third phase, interestingly, is a child reborn mm. where like, it's a fresh newness, uh, like, and then what do you really want to like manifest or affirm in your life or like what does a parent really want for their young child? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, that tracks pretty well with like Ericksonian stages yeah. of human development, generativity and all that. Yeah. I like that. I, and I, I feel like that's sort of the trajectory that my life has taken so far. Um, so I can certainly relate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, reborn. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a part of a lot of, spiritual paths too like even in like christianity Mm -hmm. there's a rebirth or born again um there's awakenings in eastern um spiritual paths Mm -hmm. that's similar yeah it's a theme that comes up yeah but i guess uh you know the takeaway for me is just can we you know say yes to more kind of positivity in our life more deserving more self-worth more um less doubt yeah. and and can we encourage ourselves and each other more along the way i think one of the things that has helped me do that more is um is believing that all that everything is going to be okay one way or another yeah that e- that I, of course i'm an imposter because mm-hmm. no one's perfect but guess what everyone else is too you have this funny spotlight effect where you think everyone's looking at you, these kind of social anxiety yeah. issues, um, that everyone's smarter than you, doing better than you. Um, they are in some ways because mm-hmm. we all have strengths and weaknesses and they aren't in other ways. Yeah. And the people that you look at and worship and think are perfect, if they've made any decisions different from you, it's been the decision to be more confident or, <laughs> or at least to display their best as often as they can. Don't compare your worst to their best. Yeah, that's wise advice. Well, thanks, Reed. Thank you, Steve. It's been fun. Indeed. Thank you, dear listener, for listening. It means a lot to me. Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers is brought to you by Novamind, a mental health company that specializes in psychedelic medicine and research. You can learn more about Novamind's mission to increase access to legal, safe, and evidence-based psychedelic medicine at novamind.ca. 
If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen or watch. Also, if you're feeling generous today, please leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you'd like to reach out to us with questions, suggestions, skating criticisms, etc., please email us at psychfrontiers at novamind.ca. Thanks again. Hey listeners, it's Steve Thayer here, letting you know that Numinous offers unique training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop their skills and expertise in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients. These courses are carefully crafted by Numinous professionals like myself, Reed, Joe, and others, and offer a variety of high-quality learning experiences. So, if you would like to learn more about these trainings, you can find the link in the show notes below, or you can visit numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice or mental health treatment. Consult with a medical or mental health professional if you believe you are in need of mental health treatment.